Stooping Starlight presents Beauty Answer Beauty, our fourth podcast, Summer Equinox, Anno 7. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Welcome to our fourth podcast. First, let me apologise for the delay and thank you for your patience. It's exciting times abound here at Stooping Starlight, not the least due to two of our crew members being selected for the OTO Women's Symposium in Minneapolis this August. We hope to see you there, but if you can't, well, listen to the end and we'll announce some fun extras that will show up in our anniversary episode coming up in September. Now for our first segment which is with Annette Gray, the Grand Secretary General of the Australian Grand Lodge, whom I had the great honour of interviewing the other week. For me, my background in magic and Salima, I'd really have to say, has been my life from obviously when I was conceived to right now up until this point, you know. Um, And, you know, I I was brought up in a fairly conservative uh, household. My father was um, in the Australian Army, so military. Um, My mother was a school teacher. She was also a devout Roman Catholic, so kind of be toddling off. So, you know, in our house growing up, there wasn't really, um, there wasn't really that much, kind of imagery or literature regarding the occult or the stereotypical occult. Um, I suppose for me, you know, I really appreciated like, you know, the the regalia and robes and the furnishings of, um, you know, the religious institution that was, um, you know, what I was going to. So, um, you know, it wasn't, I I was a bit of a late starter um, in regards to, I suppose my my um, background in or what people would traditionally say was magic and Salima. Um, I think they're just words that describe, you know, a, a particular <clears throat> uh, state of being or of doing. But um, so you know, it was, I was probably in my mid to late twenties when I kind of stumbled across um, astrology. I was kind of quite drawn into the to astrology, um, it was by sheer chance I came across it, and it's kind of interesting because just recently I had a, a piece, um, an art piece called the Scorpion Warrior, which is one of my, it's like a self-portrait um, in some respects. So I had that as um, selected as a finalist in the Women's Art Prize in, for the Sydney Winter Arts Festival. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. I didn't win, but that was not the point. You know, I kind of was just excited that it got that it got um, selected as a finalist. But um, so I've kind of brought that up because it was really like that energy of the Scorpion Warrior that kind of, I guess, propelled me into what would be traditionally referred to as the occult. And um, you know, I'd been, <clears throat> I'd had a terrible decade prior to that time in my life, and um, so I was kind of swanning around Europe and um, 
the Mediterranean and I was in London for the last few weeks and, you know, I met this guy and um, we kind of hung out for a while and then he's, you know, I don't know, something obviously piqued his interest and he was like, oh, you must be a Mars in Scorpio and I'm just thinking, what is he even talking about? I don't know, I don't understand all of this. So he, we kind of, you know, he races me off down to um, Atlantis Bookshop wow. and he's pulled, out, he's pulled out an ephemeris out of the shelf and he's like, Woohoo! Fist pumping in the air. I knew I was right, and so, you know, so he was right. And I'm kind of looking at him, and I'm thinking, how do you know something about me that I don't know about myself? And why are you looking in a book that looks like it should be in maths class? Like I was, just, I was so intrigued, but at the same time, I was a little bit affronted. I was just like, how is this possible? And um, so. I guess, you know, that, that, that kind of all finished and, and I returned to Australia um, not long after that and um, kind of proceeded to start studying astrology formally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had two different teachers. One was very, um, was a female actually. She was very intuitive and I had another tutor who was male who was very technically based. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did that for about three years and, and I, I thought I got a really kind of good balanced you know, um, tutorage from that, mm. um, the two people I was dealing with. And, you know, one thing leads to another and suddenly you're looking at the tarot and suddenly you're looking at Kabbalah and mm. and then suddenly, you know, magically the, um, the, the book of the law appears in our lounge room, you know, a gift from a wandering gypsy fellow <laughs> from up north and, um, you know, who happened to be wearing Egyptian makeup. It was all kind of like, wow, this is all quite, you know, out there. And, um, you know, then it was probably probably about a year later I um, I joined the OTO and did, did my verbal initiation in the OTO. So, um, you know, I guess, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that was kind of my thing back then, you know. Um, but I was kind of really into nature and, you um, you know, all that, you know, nature in its all, in, in all its glory, you know, who lives, who dies, choices made, you know, responsibilities, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, I do actually, um, kind of like the, the whole vibe of nature in regards to, um, and synchronicity in regards to, um, magic and Selena. And I kind of mix that up a bit with my art as well. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, I joined the ATO and, um, you know, there was no local body in, uh, Melbourne at the time. So we used to travel up to Sydney oh, and uh, yeah, so that was kind of, it's kind of, you know, people go, Oh, I was traveling half an hour to lodge that really hard work. And it's like, try, try, try traveling like, you know, 900 kilometers. But, um, so yeah, so we used to go up to Sydney quite often and, uh, for, you know, both initiations and various other get-togethers and, and group rights and lectures and all the rest of it. And eventually um, my partner started a, a local body down in Melbourne. So, And I was the only girl here for a long time, the only the only woman for a long time. But, um, you know, we, we, you know, as you do, you kind of try out lots of different things. And um, I think, though, I think, even now, I kind of still sit with the same types of types of things that I was interested in back then: astrology, Kabbalah, tarot. Um, I kind of really like dramatic ritual. I, I really kind of enjoy that. Um, 
lights of the Lucis, you know, any, anything, anything that you can, with a bit of a flamboyant aesthetic, I'm kind of really into. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess they're the kind of interests that I have and obviously nature and. It, it sounds like a really f- sort of fluent sort of, that it just sort of happens, you know, it's very organic. Yeah, I think it's a, I, I, yeah, I think I just have this kind of organic feel about things um I'm I'm and you know even in a even sometimes in my chaos is kind of organic you know or my my uh, sometimes I just kind of make terrible messes and you know in some artistic kind of throw but um you know there's kind of order in my chaos and but you know someone moves something and suddenly it's like hmm you move in my mess kind of thing. <laughs> Everything's got its place as, as it seems, so yeah. Who do you think and what, because I think it's not going to be who, it's going to be what, has influenced your magical work? Ah, oh, gee, I think it's just life, life itself, and, you know, um, just the experiences, um, you know, and that's sometimes that's with people and, and I think, you know, for me, environment, um, is is kind of very interesting. I mean, I can't, you know, I remember saying to someone something once, I, I picked a leaf and I was kind of pulling out, saying, look at the detail in this and the way this, you know, and the person was kind of looking with a blank face and I'm kind of just like, but can't you see, like, this exquisite detail and the way everything links together and they're just kind of like, it's a leaf. <laughs> thing so um I think you know I, I guess I guess for me you know like nature and life is really that's the kind of stuff I I, I kind of resonate towards really strongly um you know I quite often you know visitors that you know I might have to my place like you know natural um you know, uh, fauna that kind of come or maybe I stumble across something that wasn't there last year, um, could be like an orchid or a or carnivorous mo- uh, moss-like plant, which I just recently this year came across something. And it kind of, you know, I guess that, yeah, I think I, I like to insert myself in nature to learn more about myself rather than closing myself up in in a room, I think. Mm. I love that. Just discovering an orchid. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm in Sweden. We, if we're lucky, we might discover, you know, a strawberry plant or something. That's as exotic yeah. as it gets here. Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I mean, this is one of the things, you know, as life and you, you kind of learn more about yourself or whatever. And I was so, you know, when I was younger, I'd be so like, oh, orchids only grow in a humid climate and that's it, you know. So, but then, I mean, where we live, you know, we had two days of minus two or minus one degree like last week and it's like how on earth like you know and then suddenly you learn something and you go oh oh I was a bit you know closed in with with that kind of perception so you know that so so whilst it seems quite strange that you know oh I found this great orchid it it actually challenges something about the way you thought um, about something as simple as that really is I suppose so yeah. That's good. Um, I, I like that. Oh, no, there's, there's a sort of a follow-up on that or comment on that is that 
um, we often expect, you know, our magic to be influenced by books and big theoretical things. And a lot of the time, I find the beauty of of the magical work I do, and I, I think everything is magical that I do, not just the times when I put on a robe or a nice dress or, you know, um, or a costume. Sure. But, but is that it doesn't have to come from all these like wondrous uh, huge rituals and yes I'm a big fan of dramatic ritual as well I really I love the right to losers uh, but it's um, sometimes it's really really simple and sometimes the big dramatic stuff is actually in the simple things I think yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a massive fan of dramatic ritual. I love dramatic ritual, you know, it just mm. uh, from everything from, you know, um, kind of scouring table of correspondences to actually, you know, get get your robes or the implements or the temple itself or the mm. colours mm. or all that kind of stuff, you know, performing <clears throat> in those rites, um, whatever that happens to be. Um, but, yeah, but then there's this other side of, you know, I guess it's just taking that time and, and the silence of just being in in a, an environment that, um, you know, you've just got to kind of listen and, you know, I guess it speaks to you. Yeah, that's fun. That's great. Um, so... How has your experience of an occult community influenced your work today? So, so the community that's around you. I understand. Did you did you have to sort of create a community around you, or or was there a community once you started started going, and not just the OTO, but sort of in the, uh, in general? Sure. Um, so I guess in general, I mean, you know, I work in a creative industry, um, you know, ever since I kind of left home and I did a, um, I did an apprenticeship and a training in um, composition. It was actually called composition. So by, by trade, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a compositor by trade, which is kind of really interesting. And from a, from a magical perspective, I find it very interesting where you're taking a whole lot of seemingly unrelated things and putting them together to create a whole. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of like, I think, you know, there's actually a real magic in, in that itself. It's, it's really about the approach or the consciousness with which you, with, with which you approach it, I suppose. Um, so, you know, through my work, I, I meet a lot of creative people. I mean, most, most graphic designers and whatnot have, you know, their, their alter ego where they're kind of, you know, creativity for everybody else and then they have their creativity for themselves outside of that. So I've got uh, a lot of friends that are artists um, outside of the OTO and, and even a lot of those those um, people that I know, I would consider, I suppose, you know, I would consider them thalamites. They don't call themselves thalamites and, and they probably don't even know what that word is. Um, but you know, it's kind of, it's there, you know, um, you see it. So, and I guess, um, you know, within the order, um, you know, there's quite a few, um, uh, you know, artists who I, I really, um, 
you know, admire any order um, or may have even been responsible for me um, getting back into art in some kind of bizarre ways. Um, you know, there was a there was a long period of my life where um, I didn't do any art or any craft or that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't long after I joined the art. We used to go backwards and forwards, like I said, to Sydney quite a bit. And the local body master at the time was Barry Hale, Barry William Hale who I don't know if you know his art. And he used to come to our place, you know, on the odd occasion down to Melbourne and various other things. And, you know, I'd always get to see him drawing. He's just always drawing. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes we do some Enochian or blah, blah, blah. And anyhow, so he kind of introduced me to Enochian, I suppose, in a roundabouts way. And then I started doing a bit of that by myself. And, um, and then, I don't know, I just kind of had this inspiration one day to actually do um, – some artwork immediately following something that I'd done in that respect. And I was kind of really surprised at the results and, and um, the, the technique I used was just really, really basic. Um, and, um, yeah, I just kind of came up with this image and it was really hermaphroditic in nature and um, very simple and actually you couldn't really see it unless you put it up in the window or in front of candlelight you couldn't you know it had all these kind of veins and it was all in red and it just looked like it was kind of pulsing and it was just kind of life itself this um this kind of um hermaphroditic um i guess entity so I don't know, that was kind of like the first thing I actually remember really doing after a really, really long time. And um, from that moment on, then I started kind of doing a bit more art and, um, you know, doing it alongside ritual or following ritual or, um, you know, kind of getting into a meditative state with artwork or, you know, I think there was times when I first started doing that, I would kind of come out of what seemed like hours and I would just stare at something and go, that is bizarre. Like, I don't remember doing that at all kind of thing, you know, and just and being in complete denial that I actually even did it, which was kind of, I, I remember there was really early on I was just, I kind of freaked out a bit, I think, about it as well. Um because, you know, I kind of do a few different types of artwork and, and being a graphic designer, some of it is kind of, is a little bit more, I guess it's a little bit more graphic design or graphic art in nature. And then I do some other stuff that's a little bit more um, just kind of go with the flow. Like there's no, there's absolutely no plan with where it's going to go. It's just, just see what comes out. Yeah. So um, let's go on to the next, which is um, conversation about um, women in um, in Thelema or in magic. I think that's really important as well. Is that to so I, I guess it, we tend to talk a lot about the OTO, for example, but we don't talk mm. about the Thelemite community, and that's that's actually a yeah, as I've got feedback from Stephen Starlight is that a lot of people are like, but there are Thelemites who are not in the OTO, you know. Um, and and of course there are, but so not just those, but also in the magic community. Um, so what is your impression? And this is a this is maybe a bit of a more uh, philosophical question. So what is what what do you feel is the role of women in Thelema? Mm, um, 
I would just have to put it simply as do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think there is a role specifically for women. I think, you know, that, that, yeah, I kind of, you know, the, the, the stereotyping I think is kind of, you know, um, I think that's, I mean, you know, there's, there's common things that seem to occur, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just kind of, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that, no, I think it could be, um, kind of just as, as the individual will. Mm. That's great because we often, uh, uh, often when we get into the discussion or the the debate about you know um, women in Thelema, people go, well, you know, women should be this and that, or women should do this and that, or they are the natural counterpart of the men, blah blah blah. And you go, actually, it's a lot more basic than that. Oh, totally. And look, I mean, I've had, you know, I think in my my younger, more feisty years, I, I remember a. a, a young brother who um he's not around anymore but he was like oh you know you guys have got stacks of females down in melbourne look at all those priestesses down there (laughs) and my response to that was like well what makes you think that they actually are interested in being priestesses and it was just like you know up draw job kind of situation but it's like you know yeah I, i think to kind of put those expectations on um you know, women and, and also men um, or any members of the community um, is kind of, you know, going down a, a slippery slope that probably is, you know, not really in line with, um, you know, Salima. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't get that. Um, so do you have any women in who's, who in, women in general, it does not have to be women in, in the Salima community, but um, have inspired you in particular? Ah, you know, there's so many people that have inspired me, Um, you know, women, men, um, you know, inside inside OTO, outside OTO. I think that um, I do have to say when when it was before I joined the OTO, actually, I went to something in Sydney and, um, you know, I, 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 uh, one of the, first people I met up there was um, Sora Osis, who's the FSR for New Zealand. Mm. And um, she's she's a lot of fun. And I was kind of, you know, I was a little bit scared of her, but also really like, wow, this, this chick totally rocks. Um, so, and, you know, and, and another sister, um, Petra, as well and um i was just like oh you know these these chicks they're kind of cool you know and someone once described them as being um, armies unto themselves which i would have to agree with there so um you know it's kind of uh, uh, you know the the kind of what ifs or uh you know it's kind of hard to kind of say that because you know what ifs don't exist it's like what what is kind of or what has happened exists but you know i think that um I don't know. It'd be interesting. I don't. It. I kind of don't know. Maybe I would have not stuck around if I hadn't met a couple of really strong women up at the start. Um, maybe I would have. I don't really know. I mean, I've, I've, I've. You know, a lot of my situations in life, I found myself 
in being one of only very few, if not the only woman in situations in general, like mm-hmm. in my working life and that. So it's kind of like maybe not, but anyhow, here I am and, you know, I was inspired by, you know, at least those two women and, you know, other women that, um, other women in the order like, um, you know, I think people in general who kind of stick with, stick with their, their journey and their personal journey, no matter what, what gets thrown up, you know, just to kind of keep on rolling with it and, you know, working it. I think they're, and, and, and outside of the order as well. You know, just just to kind of keep rolling with it. And, you know, having said that, I mean, you know, I kind of keep bulldozing along as well. But, um, you know, yeah, you have those moments in life where, you know, things just, you just go, wow, this is like time out, you know. I mean, that might be, you know, kind of a few minutes to a couple of days, maybe a bit longer. I think it's really healthy to be able to take time out to reflect however long that may be. Yeah. Um, but you can still kind of keep rolling at the same time. So I think it's the, the, they're the kind of people that really inspire me, I think, is, you know, just keep on, keep on rolling. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. So what's your impression of women in occult art, How, you know, both historically as, as well as now? Sure. So um, are you, you know, are you kind of, um, I mean, I kind of see that as, as, you know, that's kind of encompassing of a few different things being, um, you know, perhaps um, news, artist, um, uh, the, the viewer, um, uh, being portrayed in art. I mean, it's that's kind of a, you know, it, it's kind of a broad question. I mean, were you specifically meaning um, one of those particular or all of no, those? No, I mean, it's, I think it's really interesting to hear what your opinion is on what, what, uh historically it has been and and you know and also how how it's evolving you know um especially in occult art i find that there's there's a lot of really competent female artists i think the genre of occult art um really can extend a lot more than society's general interpretation of what occult art is um i think that you know i guess from from my experience you know there's there's um you know perhaps there's occult art that's you know full of a lot of uh symbolism and allegory and um you know there's that kind of art that i would classify as occult and then there's a other kind of art where Whilst it might not appear that it's a cult in nature, I think really um, challenges us. You know, it 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 kind of you know mixes up the the unconscious and the subconscious a bit. So I kind of you know I kind of think that kind of art. I mean, that's the stuff I'm actually quite interested in more than, you know, what's typically seen as a cult art. And that's just, you know, every day someone, they're not, they don't classify themselves as a cult artist, but something about the very nature of their art yeah. is 
works as, you know, they, they're working as an initiatrix in a way to change something and make a big change. So, um, you know, because it's something that's kind of, you know, it's prodding at the, at the unconscious and, and, you know, causing a bit of a change there. So I think that's, and if I could use an example, say, for instance, um, someone who definitely I don't think is seen as an occult artist would be, um, the photographer Diane Arbus. Um, you know, she is, she, she, she put out a lot of photographs that were very challenging in her, as in for general society in her day. And, you know, she had no problem with, um, you know, bringing to light the things that society would like to kind of, you know, tut tut or, you know, just pretend it wasn't happening or whatever that happened to be. So, you know, I mean, she kind of, you know, she kind of pushed some buttons there and, and kind of, you know, I think, you know, caused a, quite a lot of reflection, I think, in some ways, as, as many other, you know, artists have. So kind of, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit, I kind of like to move a little bit further than, um, you know, what, what, what society might call certain things because, you know, I guess that's, that's part of my thing as well, you know, I kind of my environment and what's around it's, it, you know, um, I think it boils down to the perspective of the, the person yeah, um, absolutely. viewing the piece. Um, but uh, it, it kind of, you know, in art in general, I think is really interesting, um, you know, the role that women play. I mean, I, I kind of like to put a bit more of a positive spin on it, you know, um, that, uh, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, they kind of see, um, you know, they might go, oh, you know, the, like the muse or she's just the muse or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, but, but invariably that person has initiated a change in something. Yeah. So, um, classic kind of example, you know, is Edward Manet's um, painting of Olympia. Mm -hmm. You know, there was an outrage absolute outrage um about that painting so you know and it and it and it kind of centered around woman so and not just any woman you know like you know a whore so that's kind of really interesting um you know so uh you know and and i think i mean one of the other things that you know for me is really um and a lot more people are being a bit <clears throat> um being a bit more inclusive about it is, um, say, if we were talking about like occult art, something that's as simple as um, the Thoth Tarot deck, and you know, for a long time, it's just oh, the Crowley deck. It's like oh, the Crowley deck, and it's like, you know, whereas people are now more like oh, Crowley and Frida Harris deck. You know, um, it's a collaboration, and without her, the deck, the deck wouldn't exist as it exists. No. So. Um, I think that's kind of part of the, um, you know, that's that's also part of a shift in people's attitudes is, you know, the recognition that women have actually um, had a very important place in occult art and in art in general, yeah. um, and um, you know that 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 there is recognition. I mean, obviously, you know, here in Australia. Um, you know, Rosaline Norton is a really uh, well-known, well, I suppose in the occult community, well-known um, artist. Mm. 
um, you know, that would be kind of really cool to see some, you know, a bit more acknowledgement of her. I mean, there's a there's a movie coming out, I believe, um, documentary on her quite soon, and I think um, the, there'll probably be a few OTO uh, members and other people that I'd say are kind of, you know, I guess uh, friends of the order, so to speak. That yeah. it's not nor it's not an order run documentary. Tree, but it'd be really interesting to see, um, you know, how she's portrayed in that that particular documentary, and people's um, perception of her will, uh, you know, be given the, um, I guess, given the kudos it deserves. Yeah, I think often we forget to um, uh, forget to to highlight these people, like Frida Harris, you know, who's yeah. this massive, massive occult undertaking or this magical undertaking of creating the art for this and and i mean you can you can say crowley sort of told her what he wanted but she put the she put the intention into them by creating them and that that's the intention that's flowing back to us when we see it you know uh yeah. it's, it's her magical work of the art that she's done that is you know in some ways mirroring back on us when we use it I think that's um, to say that it was Crowley's deck is like nah <laughs> yeah exactly um, and I think you know having uh, you know um, there's been a couple of the uh, the major arcana that I've, I've had a little bit of an exercise in doing art for mm-hmm. and um, you know there is absolutely no way that she just sat there happily painting that deck. You know, that was a that would have been a major operation that she undertook doing that. And, you know, I would imagine living living those cards, you know, as as she was painting them. So I find it really interesting that it's happening lately is that people are looking at the women behind the art because a lot of the artwork in the occult world, they look historically as well, like Golden Dawn, etc., is actually made by women. Uh, yes, and and I think that wasn't a let, let the women do it. That was actually one of the places where they were acceptably, in their own little you know, in their own way to to express their their occult you know explorations. So it, it was um, so we take like the Raider Waite uh, Tarot, the lady who painted that. Uh, we take mm-hmm. Frida Harris for example, uh, Marjorie Cameron as well. Who, yeah. um, who, who people think of as the redhead who appeared at the end of the Babylon working, but she's this amazing entity of, of, of her own. You know, she's not just Jack Parsons Squeeze. She was, you know, a really, really prolific artist as well. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. It was just, just you kind of brought up a. a a thought that um, something just kind of popped into my head when you talked about, you know, she wasn't just his squeeze type of thing. Um, you know, I think in, uh, I think one of the things that I have always, um, you know, really, really kind of been very conscious of, um, you know, while I guess in saying my involvement in the OCO or anything really um, in life as well is, to kind of, you know, I'm not just 
of the squeeze or I'm not just the partner of somebody else that happens to be in the OTO. Um, you know, I don't have to sit next to them at everything. I don't have to, you know, we're not like two peas in a pod. And I think that that, that can be one of the things that, you know, um, does kind of pop up quite a bit. Um, you know that um, you know you're you're not the plus one. I don't believe in plus ones. The <laughs> no. thing. So um, yeah, and I, I I think it. You know, sometimes that can be um, you know something to be mindful of as well. Yeah, when, who you know may be in partnerships that are you know come along that they are recognised as their own um, self. What's important to you? Because you've portrayed, you've portrayed both yourself uh, and other women as well um, in in art that you know, not just the Libic art, but in art in general. And what's important to you when you portray women? <sighs> I guess. Um, hmm. Kind of really hard to say, you know. Um, I'm mostly, I mean, most of the work, most of the work that um, I've done that includes women has been mostly myself. So usually, it's it's kind of, you know, I'm using it as a, as a mirror for myself um, or or a mode of um, exploration. Um, so it's kind of really hard to kind of say, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of doing as I do with that in regards to myself. Um, with, I've only worked with a few other, other females in my art, um, and mostly, um, that was, uh, a project, a collaboration I did last year. It was actually as part of a women's retreat that we had and um so it was basically we were kind of you know we thought it would be a fun idea to um kind of do have a look at the Sephira in regard to the female um so we we pretty much we got the um we call her the oracle right so it's one of one of the sisters um little little five-year-old girl she's adorable and so she kind of she pulled us she pulled all the names out of the hat you know, and who who got what, and interestingly enough, everyone was extremely happy. You know, only jumping with joy at the at the uh, Sephira they got, and so they spent however many weeks, you know, exploring that themselves beforehand. And um, you know, I, I just kind of basically took it just a straight up go of each person, and um, they 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 let me know like this is kind of this is these are some of the things I would like in my um, piece of art. This is kind of the, you know, the essence I want to get across. And um, I, 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 I just kind of did that, you know, as I, I kind of took what they wanted and interpreted that, and um, you know, it 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 came across as it came across. So, um, I mean, really, that that was more about the process of actually kind of. Um, that the, the the art was just the end result, or um, you know, a process for us as a group to um, you know, kind of I guess just explore certain certain um, energies for ourselves individually, and um, yeah, that was 
so I guess in a way, I mean, that for me was a bit of a was also, um, you know, uh, I guess a bit of a a, a a thank you gift for people kind of collaborating in the project. So, so this yeah. was this was the Divine Me uh, collection, wasn't it? The, yeah, 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 it was. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I've had quite a lot of the brothers go, oh, are you doing one of those for the brothers? Can I be? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no worries. You know, it looks there somewhere for that. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, oh, I, I imagine it will be quite, quite different working with, um, the guys. And I mean, we'll see how, you know, see what kind of manifests out of that. Um, it, it should be fun, but, um, yeah, I mean, most most of the time, um, yeah, I don't use a lot of other um, women in my work. Um, I guess you know, uh, perhaps I will in the future. I don't, I don't know. Perhaps I'll use, I've had other males ask if they can be part of um, other stuff, but um, you know, that's I guess that that kind of art's a very small part of my creativity. I have lots of other things I like doing as well. So, yeah. you know, I think that, that's that's another aspect that we that you know that that we really want to focus on is that it's not just women doing women and you know that kind of thing, but it's it's actually just a uh, seeing seeing female artists or however they identify themselves for what they are. And not just saying, oh, she's a woman artist, but going, that person is an artist. And um, and and again, giving that space to each individual. I think that's the sort of back, for me, it's the backbone of Thelema. And um, uh, it's re- I find it incredibly interesting to see what people bring as individuals, not just as women or, or, or you know, about women as well. Mm. Um, but how would you encourage aspiring female artists within the occult or in general? Well, I guess, you know, to, I guess to just kind of do it. If that's something that you kind of are interested in, um, you know, just do it, just start. I mean, I look at some of my older pieces, even some of my fairly recent pieces, I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever, kind of thing. Um, you know, like I might get caught up in the, uh, you know, the, the, oh, that's not symmetrically balanced or some ridiculous notion like that. Um, but, um, you know, I think that thing is to, to kind of, you know, just do it and, and do it in the way that you, um, that you can express what you want. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be, you know, painting or <sighs> performance or music or whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I kind of, I don't, <laughs> I might need to re record that bit again. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, do you think it's more of a um, f- for me because I've I've got a design background and um, costume design and um, and design history and for me, my art has always been about the doing and, mm-hmm. and the and the going forth. <laughs> so the you know 
it's it's never been so much about of course there's a huge amount of self-reflection in there but the self-reflection comes afterwards it is the it, it you know it's the letting the hands do the work and then reflecting and i think a lot of people reflect a lot before their art and then never get to the to the making Oh, uh, definitely. I think if you reflect before, then you're going to go nowhere very quickly. Um, it's uh, well, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, having um, being a you know trained in the technical aspects of um, graphic design, utilizing the the principles of design and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, for me, it might be kind of you know I kind of plan with with that stuff in mind but you know quite often on um certain certain works like you know I might just be flicking through my digital library and come across a texture or an object that I'll photograph because I kind of take my camera everywhere um and you know that will pique my interest I'm like I'm not really sure why that just piqued my interest but I will then put that into you know the start of something I don't know where it's going to go and and then I reflect you know as you were saying then I reflect on it afterwards um you know and and kind of I guess yeah it's just and and then I get a, a an idea of what that not just what that piece might um mean to me but what the original photograph what that what was it about that that actually piqued my interest and you know that could be I mean you know sometimes I use um photographs of textures in my work that I took in you know like 2007 in uh Habana Centro in Cuba yeah and I'm like oh why was I so fascinated with that texture what does that what does that actually you know what does that mean what what what's my fascination with this and then It'll come out way, like, you know, maybe last week it will, and then they'll be like, ah, that's what all that was about. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting how, um, you know, these things really, how they, how they do play out, yeah, I think. I, I love that the thread, for me, listening now, the thread uh, for, for, for your whole sort of story that I've heard is very organic. It's very, like, things will happen and I will act on them as they happen and then I'll reflect and go that was a miracle or you know it, it's and, and not in a bad way not in a I don't care what happens because you, you like you said you have a lot of control sort mm. of in, in your in yourself but it, it's kind of really interesting how it's just it's very flowing that's really interesting yeah, and I think very um, Scorpio. <laughs> oh yes, you know that Scorpion warrior. She pops her all the time, um, which is kind of. I mean, there's you know the other aspect to that is I guess that whole um, kind of Scorpionic energy. But the 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 way I kind of uh, you know um, I guess the uh, for me that kind of and that I, I really resonate with that Chironic energy. You know the um, the the kind of uh, wounding of self to heal, um, and and I don't mean that like in a, in a literal sense. Um, you know, but as in not being not being afraid to make mistakes and not being afraid to um, kind of 
sound stupid or to or really care um you know i mean it's kind of like i think it's really healthy to be able to reflect on um you know just absolutely you know i've made some ridiculous choices in my life um but i wouldn't be where i am now you know and and i learned something from all of that and i think that you know i mean sometimes i have that little voice going don't do that and it's just like i'm i'm going to do it <laughs> and you just know damn well that's not going to go to a good place but you know it's you just kind of got to do it sometimes going to that place is also like you had to go there to get the result so even if your voice is going that that that's not don't don't do that uh, the voice is also going. Actually, that was a good idea. Afterwards, when you come out the other side with a with an experience or something you learnt or or a result that you didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think that's um, you know, I don't know. I think it's like kind of you know, give everything a go kind of thing. Um, of course, you know, you always need to be able to. Except the consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's times where perhaps you shouldn't have gone there, but you know, no, uh, I think that's I think that's part of life and and learning and um, you know working out who who you are by learning perhaps who you aren't as well. Yeah. I don't. It's kind of the same thing. And I think I think that's that's also how we sort of you know. Uh, within the within the magical side as well it's you know it, it's um it applies there as well not just art and not just life but the magic that sometimes you just got to throw yourself out i i, I think you know because obviously you can experience that a, a, a lot you know working with um yourself um you know working in i mean you know if i was going to one of my favorite things you know is is um dramatic ritual and you know, I'm not the kind of – ironically, <laughs> I'm not really the kind of person, I suppose, that – I don't really like getting up and kind of being, you know, up there and blah, blah, whatever. And I remember um, a few years ago we did a um, – uh, we constructed this right based on the, the natal astrology chart of the local body and um, everyone was doing something. They were bringing their own interpretation of, oh, you know um, – Saturn in Leo or Uranus in uh, Pisces or whatever, you know, it was. And um, so I wasn't really doing anything. I was just, uh, as in in the ride itself, I was doing lights, I was doing the music and um, a little bit at the start. And as it was, as it turned out, you know, somebody didn't turn up for one of the roles, which was the Saturn in Leo role. So, of course, it was really late notice and it was like, oh, okay. And they're like, oh, this was, this was what I was going to do. And, of course, they wanted to sing and sing a song and dance. I'm like, I can't get up and sing a song and dance in front of a – I don't sing in public. I don't do – you know. And anyhow, so I kind of did it, right? And, um, you know, it was one of those kind of liberating moments afterwards. It's like, wow, I did that kind of. I did something that I never thought I would do again. And, um, you know, I guess that's – uh, that's kind of the thing is just to even those things that you just like you know yeah that's shaking in your shaking in your boots it's like what's the worst that can happen seriously give it a go hmm. so yeah that's cool that's really really cool 
Uh, so I've, I've kind of come to the end of questions now. Um, it's it's been really. I I wish I could sort of just talk to you for hours about stuff because um, I found when I do these interviews, it's like um, I find different threads, and I go, oh, this would be really interesting to talk about. Um, do do you think that um, you know part of your part of your heritage you know that that we we all leave a sort of mark in in our in in the communities around us and especially in the thalemic community i find that uh the words and deeds of people are really important um what what do you feel you would you know what how do you feel your work impacts that do you do you, do you see that around you do you see that kind of that mark around you or do you I'm not really, I'm, I'm not kind of really sure. And I guess I don't really think about that. Um, you know, I think that, um, I think that, you know, once I'm, you know, just have, you know, moved on, I suppose, if we're going to use that term. Uh, you know, I think the thing that what I would be kind of happy and, and this is a really Australianism and I'll probably just kind of, you know, in that with there is that hopefully, you know, I may in my lifetime, because who knows, I could live for another double of what, oh, another, at least another lifetime that I've lived, that, you know, I kind of gave it a good nudge to quote <laughs> Australianism. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of really it in, in a, in a nutshell. It's like, you know, that's, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> giving, it, giving it a good nudge. <laughs> I like that expression. I gave it a good nudge. That's really good. Yeah, I think that I think that's it. Yeah, well, in whatever, whatever, uh, you know, whatever area of life that 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 it happens to be in. Who knows what's going to happen in the next um, forty years? Say our big quest, our big battle, the battle for freedom, um, in general for you know, everyone, um, you know, is to kind of, you know, just just make it that little bit easier for someone else, which will, will only be easy in the instance that you may have made it easy because they will have their own um, thing to contribute and their own battle to contribute in the future. So, um, yeah, just do stuff. Do it. Do your, do your will. Do it. Freighter Akkad. The roses are falling. This is the night of the full moon whereon the children of sin attend the sacred circle. Therein they will sit divided, but not for love's sake, for they know thee not, O beloved. 
into the elements, the fiery, the watery, the airy, and the earthly signs, are they divided when they gather at the full moon within the forest? I wandered down the deep, shadowy glade. There I espied a tiny sachet of potpourri, dropped, maybe, from the streaming girdle of one of the maidens. Tenderly, I raised it. Its perfume is like unto the perfume of her I love. She too, perhaps, has heard the call of the moon and is even now on her way to the secret tryst. But hast thou not said, Let there be no difference made among you between any one thing and any other thing, for thereby cometh hurt. What matter, then, the name of the maiden? What matter the flowers of which it is composed? Yet dare I not burn this incense unto thee, O beloved, because of thine hair the trees of eternity? O little sachet of potpourri, thou hast reminded me of her I love, for the roses are falling. It is the night of the full moon, and the children of sin gather to attend the sacred circle. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. And hello. Hello, pleasure to meet you <laughs> in, a, in an auditory capacity. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to um, to do this segment with you. It's our first time. Um, mm-hmm. It's exciting. I like doing these segments. They they really um, they really make me think <laughs> a lot. Mm-hmm. Especially hearing other people's sort of uh, sort of views. I love the one you did with uh, Crystal. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's always nice to kind of you know see where the perspectives intersect and to you know um, have a conversation that's a little bit more real and a little bit more natural than some of the interviews that you might hear in other types of formats. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. It's really excited. And just to mention that we're actually the two who are going to be at the women's symposium as well. Uh, women of force and fire mm-hmm. now um you're on the panel right yeah and I, I was really excited to see your proposal up there actually it was really good i'm really looking forward to that i was i was reading and i was going oh, oh this is gonna be awesome right so we're talking today the the episode today is is uh, beauty asks beauty and i sort of wanted to talk a bit uh, about well beauty standards and i think this is Again, something that's kind of big in the whole cult community. I mean, I, I, I've taken part in in more than just a Thelemic community in the OTO. I've been part of the Wiccan uh, scene, etc. And I think that the whole beauty norm is pretty much, it's quite a big thing. I don't know what you've experienced. 
Um, you know, I haven't encountered it as much in the occult community. Um, I've thought about it more in the context of my everyday life, actually. I'm really curious to hear you say, you know, what this topic means to you because you, it was sort of, um, your theme that you brought up. So I just want to hear you talk a little bit about how it's affected your magic and, um, what's so salient about it for you. Yeah, I mean, it's especially when you start out in the Wiccan, I mean, you have the whole sky clad thing. Um, which is which is supposed to be this beautiful like freedom and emancipation and then you spend like 50 minutes of your first ritual going I'm naked I'm naked I'm naked oh god they can see me I'm naked do I look fat do I look big and I mean yes it is Mm -hmm. it's obviously um, a sort of inheritance from the outside it's a norm that you bring inside but I can also say from a sort of a from a quite bitter perspective that Mm -hmm. it does get judged and you know we've all seen we all read the witch's bible where janet ferrar is this like sylph like creature Mm -hmm. who's sitting on the altar with this old man in front of her and you go oh my god how can i possibly Mm -hmm. ever live up to this standard Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even uh, Crowley's description in uh, Energized Enthusiasm, I hope I'm remembering it correctly, but um, the way he describes the priest and priestess in the ceremony in Energized Enthusiasm, um, the man is quite a bit older than the woman. I mean, the woman is maybe 30 years old, and the man is sort of this silver-backed you know, elder. And so I kind of wonder, like, is there a place in Thelema for the older woman archetype? It certainly doesn't exist in any favorable sense in Crowley, which is, I think, really unfortunate for us. But did you know, I think I think Crowley never really had the... Um, I don't think he ever had the, that kind of relationship, you see. He I, didn't, you're no. right. And he, he never had... I mean, he, he was married twice, uh, but he never saw a relationship through, you know, he never grew old with anyone and he never uh, had that kind of attachment to anyone. Mm-hmm. And and I find that maybe maybe that's a character flaw, you know, <laughs> maybe that's mm-hmm. that's actually something that we have to criticize with Crowley and say, yeah, but you talk about all these young, beautiful mm-hmm. women and, and you will see him even like in his older days, he's still chasing down, you know. Mm-hmm. bragging about how he how he beds virgins and stuff mm-hmm. well i mean if he can pull it off that's great for him the problem that i had would be when he generalizes yeah. um because there were a lot of victorian women who were very sexually repressed there were uh plenty of older victorian women who um, were sort of shunned by society and we're probably living in kind of a negative emotional space because of that and because there wasn't really um, sort of a positive role for them outside of this very stifling society. I mean, he generalized from what he saw based on people that he encountered in his life and the older women that he encountered in his life were not particularly healthy, or, you know, emotionally or happy. So I think he kind of made some conclusions based on that that were maybe more about the society um than about him himself really yeah and i think that that that, you know the victorian woman wasn't uh you know she wasn't meant to do anything apart from you know have children Mm -hmm. and then she she when when she was barren she was you know kind of useless yeah yeah, at best she was you know a charitable old widow yeah and i think that there's you know sometimes it's amazing to think how much of those old attitudes we really retain Mm. um 
you know. Yeah, and, and that still lives on, doesn't it? I was actually reflecting on this um, the other day, and this is completely out of occult topic, but it's very much on topic about women. I was watching this series on Netflix about two ladies in their 70s accidentally living together after their husbands turn out gay. And mm -hmm. um, and I've, I reflected on how, for the first time, for the first time in my life, I see women of that age not only caring about like their emotions and their sex life, but also being really like living beings full of life. And I really reflected that I've never seen that before. It is so mm -hmm. uncommon to see these like, I mean, if Jane Fonda plays one of them and she's, she's a very, you know, vigorous lady and there was a sex scene in it. Mm -hmm. And, and we then, you know, what we're witnessing and it wasn't, uh, you know, a hidden sex scene it wasn't you know camera pans we wake up the next day it was proper full-on you know body mm -hmm. and i think i thought wow this is new yeah we're just not used to seeing it i remember just how um wonderful it was for me going to mathapalooza and seeing just seeing real women's bodies yeah like just seeing them not in a way that was necessarily sexualized mm -hmm. or airbrushed or mm -hmm you know, filtered through any of the kind of, you know, digital media culture we have that shows certain types of bodies and hides others. Like, everyone was there, and they were just themselves, and um, there was something really beautiful about it to me. Yeah. And it's it's not something that we have very much in our culture right now. Yeah. Absolutely not. And, and I mean, I, I think from my perspective, I'm, I'm mid-30s. I have two children um, and, and you can see that on my body. You can also see that I, through my life, you know, gained weight, lost weight, gained some more weight, lost some more weight. You know, my body's not been static mm -hmm. because I'm not a stat, you know, I'm not a static being. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that kind of, that's only recently that I've had been able to reflect on that. And um, I mentioned, um, I mentioned before that, now I'm in the OTO on my own and not as somebody's partner or somebody's wife or somebody's girlfriend. I'm very mm -hmm. much setting my own sort of expectations of myself. I'm not reflecting on anybody or reflecting off anybody. Mm -hmm. I am much more comfortable with that. But, um, but, but yeah, it's taken me, you know, I've been involved in stuff like this since I was 17, 18 in the, like the pagan and occult community. And, yeah, it's first now when I'm 36 and I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with me. I'm, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've thought about this a lot lately too in terms of aging, right? I mean, I think, you know, we all kind of become aware of aging in our 30s. I mean, I'm 32 and I wasn't really aware of aging until I probably hit, like, got into my late 20s and I could just sort of tell, like, that, you know, I'd walk into a place and, you know, there was somebody younger than me that was getting the attention that I used to get. Mm. And I noticed that. And I noticed when I learned to wear makeup in my late 20s that um, some of that I could kind of, you know, I guess maybe I got a little bit of it back when I learned that skill. Mm. Um, but it's it's almost like there's kind of, I visualize it as like these two kind of conflicting arcs. Like, you know, your visual appeal at a certain age generally starts to go down as you age. Mm. You know, but 
our self-confidence, like what you were describing, and our um, comfort in our own bodies and our self-confidence and our just at-easeness with ourselves continues to evolve as we get older. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's almost like it's kind of a shame that we can't take advantage of all, um, you know, the attention that we might get when we're younger. Yeah. And we don't have the self-awareness to really make good use of it. It's almost like it's it's kind of like a catch-22 from the very get-go for women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it makes sense to feel resentful about it. I just sort of try to make, you know, to make it work for me as best as I can. But, um, yeah, I mean, none of us are getting any younger. And I think that women especially feel that, that aging because of, like, we see the change in how we're treated based on our age. Yeah, and and... I find it really hard to correlate age and beauty now because hmm. that, that's the big thing, isn't it? It's, it's assumed that as you get older, you lose beauty. You know, mm-hmm. it's assumed that as you get older, you lose the attractiveness or and that for me is, is becoming and has not been. I've, I've definitely absolutely um, seen that sort of in myself. Mm hmm. But as I get older and the, the angrier I get, I guess, <laughs> it's like I get old and then I get angry about getting old and then I get angry about, you know, having to die. And then I get angry about why can't I then, you know, I've only got so much time left. Uh, mm-hmm. God damn it, I'm going to live it. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I see the whole, well, why does age detract from my beauty? I don't think that it should, but I think that realistically it kind of does. Yeah, it kind of does. Like, I think it, it changes how that we're perceived by other people mm-hmm. because, you know, um, I think by both men and women, yeah. being younger is sort of like the privileged, favored condition. And that's why there's that catch-22 because for mm-hmm. women, once you get to the age that you have self-confidence mm-hmm. and you have expertise and you have skill and you've advanced to mm-hmm. a position of leadership in your profession you don't have that so it's like it's like you just can't win and I think that's for me a lot of my anger kind of comes from recognizing that um that that there's that kind of equation that yeah and I think that's in especially then in the occult community where where we uh coming from the Wicca side you have this very like goddess focused you know and you talk about the three sort of sides you know maiden mother crone and stuff and and you have a you have a uh, you have a technical magical perspective or philosoph- philosophical perspective that the older that you get, the mm-hmm. the, the more uh, magical you are. Mm-hmm. You know that the 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 sort of the aspiration towards Caradwen kind of uh, perfection, and, mm-hmm. and, and with that comes age. Um, but but you never see you know pictures of naked sixty year olds on top of altars in these books. Mm, that's true. Mm. That is very true. And and maybe I don't even give a damn about the nakedness. But if we're going to be naked, why why aren't we not portraying everybody? Mm-hmm. Well, because there are you know I mean I could get into the male gaze and all that, mm. um, but I don't think that it's just the male gaze. I think that you know I mean. I think that there's sort of a preference for looking at younger, more beautiful bodies, whether they're men or women. Hmm. And I think that um, the priestess is in a position where, um, I mean, I don't know if she's being objectified, if that's you know too strong a language, but 
um, she's serving as a symbol for something and her mm-hmm. body is serving as a symbol for something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just remarkable to see the whole range, like you said, or like, you know, like we were talking about earlier of different ages and older mm-hmm. bodies up there on the altar mm-hmm. too. And, you know, I mean, I could talk about, you know, what's going on in local body cultures and mm-hmm. some that are a little bit more probably um, healthy in this respect mm-hmm. than others. Yeah. But I think it's it's a bigger issue than just um, in our communities. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was recently, actually at my ordination, we did a mass, and um, I had a lady who's, who's a little bit older than me come up and say, do you know what? It's amazing seeing you on the altar. Because it was just, it, it hadn't, because I, I re-robe. Mm-hmm. And I don't re-robe into my white robe, I re-robe into a, blue shimmery thing and mm-hmm. uh, that's see-through so you can still see the outline of my body and see the nakedness and that um but it's not you know it's not in your face naked because i think for me that detracts at the moment from what i'm doing there mm-hmm. at least in public masses and um and she says, it's just amazing to just see the the aura instead of the you, you know you could see the beauty and that's mm-hmm. the first time. That's actually the first time, even though I've done mass since 2001, that's the first time somebody come up to me and say that your your body and your shape really affected the way I experienced mass. Your, you know, it opened me. And I think that's mm-hmm. really important to remember as well that if we if we if we just accept this external body ideal, then we're alienating all these women who don't identify with it mm-hmm. we alienate all these women who feel that they are it's like it's like putting up and saying this this is goddess you know this is what goddess looks like and if you don't look like that you don't fit into the goddess mold mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah and i remember having a conversation this was before i started you know serving you know as a priestess as a novice priestess but I remember having somebody say, you know, oh, I think that, you know, you do a really great job as priestess. And I felt, you know, this person um, was like, wow, you know, they really have some confidence in my mm. ritual abilities. And I kind of got a little bit excited. And then I kind of realized as I watched the behavior of this individual and kind of thought back on the reflect on that remark, reflected on it. Um, I realized that what they were saying was really like, I kind of want to see you naked. Mm. Um, and it made me angry because I thought, well, you know, this is kind of a sneaky way of saying that, you know, like, and it's sort of dragging something sacred into something that, you know, that like the way that it was said felt profane to me. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this person having like sexual desire and possibly wanting to see another person naked. But, um, I think it's just really unfortunate how, you know, I mean, your skillfulness as a clergy member and your physical attractiveness get conflated really, really easily when you do the sort of work that we're doing. And I've been impressed at how well, you know, the EGC in general has handled this, but there are some situations where it's just really um, easy to kind of judge somebody based on something that they don't necessarily have any control over. And I, I often hear the, and it's really sad that I say often, but it is often, I don't want to say often, but it is um, that you that you get that oh she should be great as a priest. A, I had the perfect example was discussion of whether Katy Perry was in the OTO or not, and somebody mm-hmm. said oh I'd go to that mass. Mm-hmm. I was like so 
what? Yeah, I remember that thread. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I was like, really? Really? That's why you'd go to math? Yeah, it blew up. <laughs> <laughs> that thread really blew up. I was glad to see it. You know, I, 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 I was fuming because I was like, you know what? I'd go to mass to see Katy Perry do her amazing craft of being able to enchant people with her personality and her not not her not her personality because that sounds wrong. It's like she's got a pretty face, but um, with her ambience, you know, her aura, her her charisma, she's beautiful in a uh, normative sense. So she's normatively mm. beautiful. But I can imagine that she's pretty charismatic outside that. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to Mass and see that, absolutely. And I think there's also a lot of unhelpful attitude sometimes in the magical community. It's like, if you're a real magician, you wouldn't be fat. Or, you know, if, <laughs> and it's the whole, do you know what? The, the, the whole shaming thing is just not working. And, it, and, and unfortunately, the, I, what I've seen, it's 99% male. It's like if you if you're poor, it's your fault. If it's poor, you're a crap magician. You should be doing magic. You you wouldn't have a problem. It's like, like shall we just look at some societal issues here? You know, shall we just look? Uh, uh, and and maybe magic is not just working with uh, my sigils at home, but maybe magic is going out and creating a better society to live in. And so, you know, uh, and and mm-hmm. same thing with the body. It's like maybe you know. Maybe I can't just invoke some Gaetic demons and then I'll be skinny, you know, maybe. <laughs> well, that's a good way to get flatworm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to like the way those things are. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's like, how, how, how can we support each other instead of saying you're a crap magician if you can't figure this out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the judgmental attitude's got to go. I mean, I've been fortunate to not encounter too much of that in the communities that I've been a part of. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that it really serves anybody well. And this whole, oh, if you were a real magician, you wouldn't have, you know, so and so and such problem. If you were a real magician, you would have a full time job. Or if you were a real magician, you wouldn't be living with your parents. Or if you were a real magician, you wouldn't be obese. Like, mm. none of those things really, I think. Like, why Why would you even want to say that? Yeah, it's like... Well, like, it's not going to endear anybody to you. Like, you're obviously judging somebody. Like, it's not going to... Like, what's, what are you doing there? You're just making yourself look judgmental. Yeah, and, and, and maybe instead of saying, if you, were, if you did this, if you did X, you know, if you were a real magician, you wouldn't be doing X. Maybe say, man, that's a shitty situation. How can I, as a brother or sister, help you? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe that's how we do it. Maybe we va- we validate each other instead of instead of putting blame and shame. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's tricky because we all kind of have you know different types of internalized oppression and different sorts of you know personal limitations. I mean, yeah. so for me, I never really thought of myself as a gym person, mm. and I started lifting probably about a year ago. Mm. And it's it's been really amazing for me. Like, I've gotten to the point where I really enjoy it. You know, the results have been pretty good. But, you know, if you had asked me, you know, two years ago, mm-hmm. hey, you know, can you go to the gym three or four times a week? I would say, no way, I can't do that. Like, it's just that's not going to fit in with my schedule. Yeah. And then when the time was right for me, I just sort of started doing it, and it yeah. became very natural. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that um, things just kind of have to happen in the way that they happen. And I'm not going to be one to judge somebody for saying they can't do something. Hmm. I mean, 
you know, you can't do it right now because you don't, you're not doing it. Like, yeah. if you could, you would do it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. You assume, if you say that, you assume that, you know, this person has not, is not interested in, in being healthy or this person is not interested in, in having a job. It's like, no, actually, mm-hmm. that's not true. And I mean, especially for a woman, that's like the last pressure I need, you mm-hmm. know, because, um, especially when you come up to my age and if you have a family it's like i've just pushed two melon-sized things out of that's my... a pretty big yeah, yeah that takes a lot of work that, that takes at least 12 hours of intensive labor work if nothing else <laughs> and then the ensuing sort of emotional oh the emotional transformation and the the, the you know that's magic in itself just focusing on keeping this this other being alive and fed and warm and not crying you know it's that that in itself is just such a huge thing that and it's beautiful like that in itself is very beautiful it is but excuse me if i don't you know if i don't prioritize uh putting makeup on every day mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 um the, i think the worst I think the worst comment as a woman is that, oh, she's really let herself go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, maybe I just focused on other things that were more important than my makeup and hair. No. Well, and to not let yourself go becomes increasingly difficult as you have a family, as you are yeah. trying to earn a living wage in a world where that is increasingly difficult, especially yeah. if there's you know a wage gap in your country, which yeah. pretty much every country has one, and yeah. some are wider than others. So yeah. it it is it's it's just emotionally and and mentally exhausting uh, you mm-hmm. know keeping the whole thing up and the last thing i want to be thinking about then is you know my body mm-hmm. other than keeping it fit and healthy enough to you know make sure mm-hmm. my I, I guess i i i often think i often think that we have this um this very animalistic i don't know if that's the right word <laughs> I, maybe I it is this, this, maybe this it very, is this very instinct that you know, uh, as long as I survive and my offspring survives, then everything else will just have to go on the side, and that becomes so much stronger once you mm-hmm. actually have parents. Have have to have parents. Once you, once you're actually a parent, that instinct just kicks into complete overdrive. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, absolutely. And and to then, for me, it's it's then complete madness to put on women who are uh, also in the middle of this, you know, this this uh, transformation because up until, I guess up until like 25, you were, you were like a pretty, um, I was anyway, a pretty, pretty selfish being. Mm-hmm. And even if you have children or not, I think you change after 25 to be quite an, you know, more towards the altruistic Mm-hmm. sort of spectrum anyway that's my experience and, and I was a mother late so mm-hmm. um, yeah you, yeah you're, I you're can a, see all that you're a woman who's changing and, and you're you know you, you, you accept your maturity and you accept your mortality even that that's really hard mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the, the one thing you have to think about is you know how physically attractive am I yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, dude, I'm trying to figure out why I shouldn't just give up and become a complete nihilist now. 
because <laughs> death is inevitable and we're all here and it's such a you know the mortal coil blah 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 blah, yeah. blah and then you go why am i plucking my eyebrows again <laughs> yeah i mean i think about it in a magical context mm. i think about the beauty piece in a magical context mm. um as much as I don't like it to be the case, I know that if I'm on a job interview or if I'm working with a client for the first time or, you know, whatever that reason might be, I'm going to be responded to a lot better if I'm dressed very professionally in clothes that fit. And since my body changes, it can be difficult to find clothes that fit and that continue to fit. Um, I'll be responded to better if I wear makeup, if I do my hair, if I do all this stuff that takes a long time in the morning. I'll get better results from people that I interact with. Yeah. And so I think about it in terms of, well, you know, this is a magical ritual that gets me results. Mm. But if I'm not going to be interacting with people where I need that edge, mm. then I'm generally not going to do it because it's a waste of my time. And I think that there's a lot of women out there who don't view, you know, the makeup and the clothes and all that as a magical act. They view it as this societal compulsion or obligation like you're not going to be acceptable outside the house if you don't put yourself together and that I think is where it gets really toxic but for me you know it's been something that learning this particular magical ritual I think as much as I don't like the fact that the world works that way it mm. certainly does in my area so um, I've learned to do it and I've reaped some advantages from that but the world's not fair I sure as hell wish it was a little more fair than it is but it's just not and I'm going to make the best of it that I can with the you know tools I have at my disposal and then I think it's also for me then it's different because in society we can I, I can kind of accept it because I can't change it radically uh well I can change it radically by for example refusing to shave under my arms and, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, not plucking my eyebrows and you know and and that I can I can make smaller changes and smaller statements that then will become norm. But when you're talking in a smaller community like the occult community, where we are supposed to be so even mm -hmm. more, you know, even more we're supposed to be liberated from all that. Exactly. Then it, there we are. I, I reflected on it last time I did mass, and I found myself shaving my legs, and I went. It's it's November and I'm shaving my legs. Mm. I why? Oh, because I'm doing mass. Why am I shaving my legs to do mass? Why does it matter if my legs are shaved or not? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't matter to you, then no reason to do it. No, exactly. But you have that, and I, I, it's it's this horrible, like nagging feeling in the back of my head. Well, what if the priest kneels down and he goes, "Oh, hairy legs." And that fills me with real, real frustration, anger, and yeah, I get really pissed off <laughs> with that because it, it, that's the you know the person well, yeah. the person I'm doing mass with should be the f very last person to care if I have hairy legs or not. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know that whole expecting our bodies to be regarded with disgust mm. is something that women have had to deal with a whole lot. Mm. You know, I mean, men probably have to deal with some of it, but I think that women have to deal with a lot more of it. I think a lot of that's about menstruation, too. I think that, you know, many of us have experiences mm. at pretty fragile time for us emotionally, yeah. thinking that our bodies are dirty or we can't control this blood coming out of our mm. bodies and that, you know, other people are going to be horrified by it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't know if that's connected in that way for you, 
But I know for me it is. Absolutely. We don't talk enough about that and we don't talk enough about our our bodies and it's Crowley was big on bodily fluids. You know. mm-hmm. He really brought the embodiment piece to the occult in a way that it was not there before, yeah, but absolutely. it was definitely embodiment from a male perspective. And so there's a missing kind of piece there that needs to be discussed. I agree with you there. And also, I think, we, I mean, we have like, we have we have so many thousands of years of, you know, hidden awareness of, of oh no, not hidden, of male dominance in all of this. Mm-hmm. That of course, of course, we don't hear about it. But I, I, I feel like we're missing out this huge, this huge other side to it. And maybe it's time that we sat down and recorded all of that, which is why I guess I'm so passionate about women, recording the women in the occult. Mm-hmm. I think that it's getting written down in some places. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a fine line between those things that I think are always going to be secret because they sort of, like they're so experiential that you can't really translate it easily in a direct way to another person. Like it, sometimes I think about those kinds of things as like those weird creatures that live in the deep ocean that, you know, survive under such high levels of pressure that by the time you bring them to the surface, they disintegrate. Like they just can't handle the lower pressure of being in the upper ocean. So there's no real way to study them easily. Like you can't, pick them up and bring them into a lab because they'll disintegrate. You have to kind of rely on these grainy pictures, you know, and I think that there are some aspects of this work that are always going to be like that. That's one side of it. But the other side of it is, you know, Hey, it's really important if you're a woman and you're trying to do scientific illuminism and you're doing pranayama, Hey, like write down what day of your cycle you're on. You know, that's kind of an important variable. Like, are you on birth control? Like, are you pregnant? All those things matter. Um, and that's where patriarchy kind of comes in and throws mm-hmm. a monkey wrench because, you know, if you're a man teaching a woman, you might not really, like, that would never occur to you, potentially. There's not enough stuff written by women. And and the stuff that we have written by women from, like, the medieval times and stuff is often written by people who were shut away in in monasteries and sort of taught to hate their bodies. And, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and the stuff we do have that's written by women um, is limited, and also a lot of times it's the stuff that's written by women that was discovered by a man. Yeah. So there's that kind of piece of it, too. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's really important that we record it and we, we spread it. And also to write more. I mean, in general, I want women to question the whole, especially around beauty and ideals and... Uh, and and the female body, um, mm-hmm. and, and and things like ritual. I mean, do we maybe need to look at? This is not from a separatist viewpoint, but it's more a. Do we need to actually go through all the rituals and see if there's something we need to adjust? You know, maybe maybe when we're in a certain point in the cycle, then this this part of this ritual won't work as planned because, you know, stuff is going on. Yeah, or maybe there's certain things that, you know, would work better mm-hmm. during certain times that it's actually better to do those practices then. Yeah, exactly. You're more likely to be successful when you're, you know, more emotionally sensitive or you're more likely to be successful with this other thing when you're less emotionally sensitive. Mm-hmm. 
um, and to be able to kind of time the rituals that you do according to those things. But as far as, as far as changing things, I think that it's just a matter of experimentation. I mean, for what we do in our personal work, you know, try changing something, see if it works better, try altering it this way, try altering it that way and see what the difference is. Yeah. And it's, I, I think that, and that goes, that does not necessarily have a gender, gender thing. I think that goes for every individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also in in, um, in in like ritual magic, we often stick to formulas that we think will work because Crowley did it or Gregor D wrote it or you know. And I find like a lot of times I find well, I need to tweak it here or I need a different visualization here or th- this mm-hmm. isn't going to work for me or this this ritual so like. like my biggest blasphemy so far is that resh for me is like meh. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like I, 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 I've gone through a period of, of reshing, <laughs> but it, it uh, for, for me it was like you know nah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't naturally include it into my rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and I tried having the you know the the diligence and being good thelemite and all that and getting up at silly clock and stuff. Mm-hmm. but it just didn't do anything for me i think a lot of the time we don't we don't question and so mm-hmm. yeah well and it's also the idea of you know at what level are we updating these things yeah. because if you look at sort of the hermetic uh premises that a lot of this is founded on and some of the kabbalistic premises that that are founded on um, go back to Aristotle and some of the stuff that Aristotle had to say about, you know, that uh, human beings grow from seeds. And I just heard this really awesome lecture uh, by Randy Williams at Babylon Rising about yeah. spermous preformationism. It just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Like people really believed that you know, women didn't contribute anything to the growth of a child except, you know, like resources, yeah. you know like blood, nourishment, um, air, nutrition, that kind of stuff didn't contribute any genetic material that the child was already kind of preformed in the sperm and kind of just, you know, the woman was basically like the ground that the seed grew in. And those ideas have continued to inform occult concepts and philosophies, you know, for the past, you know, few thousand years. So, at what point do we need to just kind of like throw the entire system out and start from completely new concepts? I mean, look at the whole, you know, male is solar, female is lunar. Well, the sun is a star. Last time I checked, the moon wasn't. Yeah. So, I mean, these are complicated concepts that also are connected to how we do things in society because it's all linked together. So um, I think that when you really start to kind of delve into these waters, like you're saying, in terms of updating things, um, it gets really overwhelming and complex pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think we we have to really encourage women to take a lot of part there. You know, mm-hmm. we really have to encourage. And I think, I think Crowley did a right thing there in that he tried to include women as much as he could because I think he... Uh, um, like I wrote in my article about Crowley and feminism, is that I think he 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 got the idea that he women women were sat on a lot of stuff that was being hidden away. And I think it's really important that we encourage women to take part in that updating and reassessing and um, questioning, challenging. And I mean, I think um, for me, it's also about like more transcending it's like 
so hard to explain. It's about delving inwards. It's about coming in in yourself and finding that alchemical union of of all these energies. And then, you know, I talk a lot about the, the Baphomet. Um, right, and doing it internally, doing yeah. it within yourself. Yeah, this transformation of, you know, the transformation, the alchemical transformation isn't just, you know, refining and purifying but it's also unifying and and amalgamating all of these things into one you know one big ball of goddamn stuff <laughs> <laughs> but, you know one one the yeah it's it's like the the, the smoothness of 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 union mm-hmm. and um and so it's it's not it's not transcending or ignoring it's more like acknowledging it to death do you see what I mean? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you describe it that way. Yeah, I hadn't quite thought of it in those terms before. Yeah. It's like it, it's like it's like um yeah, it is it's like speaking it until it becomes true, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gets me sort of riled up is just, it's easy, you know, if I'm sitting at home doing my own practices, you know, I don't think of myself as different. Like I think, think of myself as, you know, when I'm focusing on the thoughts that are arising in my mind, there's no concept of the gender female there. Mm. Like it's just consciousness. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I'm engaged in any type of work, it's just consciousness. But when I'm out around other people, I'm always aware of my gender. Yeah. I'm always aware of how I'm performing it, presenting myself, you know, in any social space. Like even when I'm not intentionally, you know, do, partaking in any of these rituals of femininity, you know, so to speak, I'm still aware of it. And um, it's like people who, you know, are from racial minorities, they're always aware of their race in that same way. Um, and it takes a certain amount of our time and energy away from doing that inner work. Yeah. And so, what's, you know, if it, if it, if it in, in, quotation marks real life you know takes away from from and detracts what then it's even more dangerous and poisonous and uh and perilous to let it do that in your ritual work you know mm-hmm. in, in the in your actual you know down dirty work with your own soul if you mm-hmm. then if you then you know take mass for example which is <laughs> we're walking into a minefield here but you're right yeah we should we should go yeah if we if we if we take mass and if mass if i sit on the altar and, and become aware of this like and 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 keep on keep, keep holding on to those societal like hang-ups and what femininity is and what, what women then then i'm then i'm detracting from from that connection you know, upwards and outwards. I'm detracting mm-hmm. from my unification with, you know, the divine and the unification with the opposite divine. And if I'm I'm sat there worrying about, you know, is my makeup smudging? The the beauty um, the beauty issue for me, and especially related to um, to magic and to ritual, is um, is is actually it's very very basic in 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 the way that it's 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 just grounded in a lot of frustration i guess it's frustration Mm -hmm. that we have these norms it's frustration that uh i i that it 
it's frustrating that I perceive myself as being judged. And when I express that frustration, people say, well, maybe if you didn't think about it that way. Mm, that's sort of victim blamey. Yeah, and, and yeah. women do that a lot to each other. And so mm -hmm. when, when I talk, uh, I've talked in the past and said, I feel uncomfortable on the altar being naked and I like to rewrote because I don't feel that I can relax enough on the altar being naked. They say, well, you know, you should just get over that. It's not your problem. It's theirs. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Mm. I know. And I really wish that I could get over it. But, you know, having having allies telling me to get over it isn't really helping. Do you see yeah. what I mean? I, yeah. I, it, it, it's, it's really heartfelt from them. I know I can I can sense that it's meant in a nice way and it's meant in a in an empowering way. But it's um, we don't talk about it enough for it to feel like support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it might be easy for them to just kind of get over it, but it's not for a lot of people. No, I guess also there's a, there's a kind of a blindness to like the. Um, not blindness. There's an unspoken um, vulnerability in all women in that we we have this like this performance culture mm -hmm. and the the fear culture as well. And it's just like and the, yeah, the thing that drives me nuts is the fear culture trying to separate what's you know a realistic, reasonable you know smart fear like hey you know it's probably not good to you know um go out driving without your seatbelt in rush hour traffic going 20 miles over the speed limit mm. versus you know what's kind of an unrealistic fear that keeps you hemmed in and keeps you from taking risks and living your life that you should live so that's yeah. what drives me nuts is not really knowing what's a realistic fear for my safety and what's kind of um just like junk from society like yeah. I can't always draw that line it stresses me out yeah and I, fi I find that even even more frustrating than in situations where I'm supposed to feel very very safe mm -hmm. that, that I've been in situations in in the occult society where I've felt uh felt fear or felt like expe exposed felt exposed because of my physical appearance Mm -hmm. uh, and and not in a people think I'm ugly, but more in a I might be attractive to someone, and that makes me feel uncomfortable because yeah. that puts an expectation on me to be somebody or do something. Yeah, and that yeah that that just that makes me angry as well. That frustrates mm -hmm. me a lot, and I guess that's just one added layer that we don't need really. Right. I mean, for me, what I do when I'm priestessing when I've priestessed before um while I'm still you know feeling like really kind of conscious you know and really sort of um like like my ego is still present right mm. like right when I come in you know greeting of earth and heaven mm. look around that congregation and really size up everybody <laughs> and kind of like I'm serious I like, yeah. make my determination at that moment you know who are these people um do I, how well do I know them? Are there new people here? Do the new people, you know, set me on edge at all? Like just really kind of making an intuitive assessment and preferably making eye contact with yeah. most people at that moment to kind of decide, you know, whether I want, whether I feel safe enough to do that and making a decision, you know, based on an intuitive level. But 
doing that, you know, early on in the process. Yeah, I I, I do it as a greeting of earth and heaven. I do sort of a uh, that's not to the priest, that's to the congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also during the serpentine walk, as I walk by by everyone to sort of gauge them, you know, who are you and why you're here, what do you mm-hmm. want, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think mass is, is probably once once I'm up on the altar. I actually don't feel that conscious. And I think mm-hmm. once I'm up on the altar, I probably wouldn't give a damn about how right. I looked. Exactly, yeah. Um, That's been my experience too. Because mm-hmm. I, I've, I've had that, you know, leading up to it, I'll do all the preparations and go through all that and have all the insecurities and blah, blah, blah. But once I'm on the altar and I'm kind of in charge, then I know what I'm doing and I don't feel at all, you know, that goes out a window and I leave myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So I think that that's a great. Um, I wish I could take that with me. Actually, I wish I could take that down from the altar. That sort of un unburdened being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice headspace to be in. Absolutely. I mean, it's totally counterproductive for like working and uh, <laughs> cooking and stuff but... totally not not very much valued by the uh, capitalist machine that we all live move and breathe in yeah, for no, 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 most I of think... our lives but hey i think my boss would frown if i just came in and like sat on my desk and just you know <laughs> all right sister well i really enjoyed this me too all right That's 93 good... 93 bye bye concludes our fourth episode we hope you have enjoyed it so what will we bring from the women's symposium well Sora Madibi and I will record a live Kara Sora session and we hope to bring you an informal roundtable talk featuring some of the guests we meet there also keep an eye out for live updates and videos on our Facebook page remember that you can support our podcast on patreon.com and stay in touch with us we love all your feedback until next time, love is the law, love under will.